Okay, so we come today to our second study in the book of Proverbs this summer. We are taking a, a break from going verse by verse on a particular book, which we'll pick up again uh, starting next month. But today we're going to be studying Proverbs 15. And we've selected, or I've selected a few verses that we're going to study in Proverbs 15. And the, the idea here, the main idea we're going to study is how one's speech, what we say, reveals who we truly are. Right? So I've titled the message, Your Speech Reflects Your Character. So if you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we read selected verses from Proverbs 15, as they will be signaled on the screen. The Word of the Lord says in Proverbs 15, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The ear that listens to life-given reproof will dwell among the wise. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to these verses in chapter 15 of Proverbs, where else can we go, Lord, for your word is what contains the words of eternal life, the words of wisdom, the words of life, the words of rebuke, instruction, correction. Let us turn this morning, Lord, with a humble heart and mind so that we may be instructed in your word. We may be instructed in order to align our lives to the wisdom that comes in your word. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. You may be seated. All right. So when it comes to learning about wisdom, uh, we turn to God's word. And how appropriate, specifically Proverbs, right? We can use the book of Proverbs, which has a pretty much immediate and straightforward application as we read Proverbs. I mean, some of these Proverbs we just read right now um, doesn't take much for us to know that, for instance, a soft answer turns away wrath, right? You're avoiding, you're ex exercising maturity, you're exercising um diligence obedience to the word of god right so that's that's the beauty about turning to proverbs for instruction and wisdom the good another good thing about proverbs as brother eric uh, preached last week is that proverbs is not a book that includes narrative right proverbs is a book of wisdom wisdom literature and is written uh, by and large in poetic form Right, so we don't need to, in other words, get the storyline of what comes before this and what's going to come. No, this is poetic wisdom literature that we can turn to without having uh, prior knowledge of what uh, Proverbs 14 is about, right? It would be very helpful to know, but 
we can jump straight to different chapters of Proverbs and gain insight and gain, gain wisdom on particular topics. And that's why today jumping to chapter 15 brings, up, brings us wisdom, instruction, correction, reproof about the way that we speak, the way we express ourselves, which in turn reveals who we truly are in our hearts, right? The tongue, the power of words, which is either to build up or to tear down in many cases. Now, just as a quick point of reference, I was look at, uh, looking at some articles about what are the major reasons for contention and um, discontent and conflict in general, right? In, in our culture, in our workplace, in our interpersonal relationships. And by and large, uh, one of the articles summarized it well. Uh, it's, I found it on a website called Healthline.com. It's one of the fastest growing health information sites on the web. And what it boils down to in most of the cases is that interper interpersonal conflict in our everyday lives, when it's nailed down to something, it's by and large is due to ego. When there's at least two parties going at it, different positions, different uh, opinions, different positions on a particular issue, neither will want to back down. Right? So it's two or more opposing uh, or different views. Uh, often this quickly escalates into personal feelings being hurt, especially in our day, right? When there's pretty much uh, a sense in which everything has been turned political and uh, people will be aggravated very easily. This quickly turns into personal feelings being exposed and hurt, resentment, uh, escalated conflict, and unfortunately, many times, physical violence, right? So what is the key takeaway from what we see in our world of, of conflict and uh, people not being willing and able to hear each other out, to think of the other higher than ourselves, or all that is out the window? Well, what we see is that this escalation in conflict, this emotional um, eruption often leads to physical, right? And that is when we realize that the physical is just the final outcome of what initiated and is already present in each of our hearts. Okay, that starts within. The stubborn heart, the stubborn mind is something that scripture is very clear. When we carry out that evil deed, right? Jesus says that if we are, uh, if we hate our brother, we're already committed what? Murder in our hearts. Why? Because that's just the natural outcome of someone who takes that to the ultimate extent. That's why Jesus says if you look at a woman and you lust after her, you already committed adultery in your mind. Why? Because the physical act is just a final action. Um, the, the embodiment of our sinful nature, right? It starts within the heart. And Jesus summarized that very well in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, which reads as follows. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth 
speaks, right? Hence, what a person speaks then reveals the true state of the heart. Now, here's a word of caution. We can be very calm, very well-mannered in our speech until we are pressed, until we are made uncomfortable, until someone brings a opposing view, until somebody maybe offends us, right? Until then, I was pretty good. But now that I'm being tested, then the truth comes out, right? So today we will look at two aspects of what our speech or heart reveal, and then one looking at the goal or what our aim should be in order to align ourselves with the wisdom of God. So we will look at them in the following order. First, we're going to look at wise speech. And that's basically the first portion of each verse that we read. Wise speech, which is a sign, not of a perfect heart, but of a repentant heart, a regenerate heart. Secondly, we're going to look at, by and large, the second portion of every verse that we read, which is corrupt speech, which is often a sign of an evil heart. And many times, if we're honest, of even a regenerated heart that is backsliding, right? And then thirdly, we're going to look at what the path to godliness is, according to the verses that we're reading, which is humble listening. Right? We need to be able to take something, not get what's already dirty and filthy from in, from, from within, but we need something from the external to come and change us. So let's dig right in. First, we're going to look at wise speech, signs of a repentant heart. So we're going to review half of the first portion of uh, almost all the verses that we read. It goes as follows. 15.1a says, A soft answer turns away wrath. 2a says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. 4a reads, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. 7a, The lips of the wise spread knowledge. 14a, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. 28a, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Ponders how to answer, right? So this brought to remembrance in our culture often is said that someone is courageous and true to themselves when they express exactly what they feel and I'll let somebody have a piece of my mind, right? <coughs> a lot of times uh, people will take pride in saying, oh, I say like it is, right? Reminded me of something that is, I think, pretty funny, but uh, maybe inappropriate for some of the youth. Back in the day when I was in, in high school and early college days, I used to watch the Dave Chappelle show. Comedy that I think nowadays would not stand the test of political correctness. He's a very talented gentleman. And they had these skits in which he called it, when keeping it real goes wrong. Right? What it didn't tell. And some of you are laughing because you know or you remember what this was about. It basically entailed a situation in which someone was confronted with conflict and the person had two options. And it, like the scene would pause and then it would say, you know, so-and-so had the option to let it go or to keep it real. Right? 
And what was that keeping it real? Basically, there was not one time where keeping it real went right. Never. It always escalated out of control into much controversy and chaos. And almost always into physical conflict, right? When keeping it real goes wrong. So if we are honest, many times, instead of us being peacemakers when we are confronted, when there's disagreement either within our household or outside of our household, how many times have we not also decided we could have walked away, we could have used a soft answer to turn away wrath, but no, I'm going to keep it real. And we walk right in, right, into the trap. I, I think I did this this week, right? So that's a confession there for you all. And what does it do? What does this sort of keeping a real do? What does that do? Well, first, it puts our testimony at risk. Not to mention, obviously, dishonoring God in the way that we portray ourselves to those that are watching us to know uh, or to catch us to see when we're going to slip. There's people watching us. Our family, our co-workers, even brothers and sisters within the church. I'm going to keep an eye on this brother <laughs> the moment he slips, right? And many times we bring this up on ourselves because when we are confronted with, the, with such issues of uh, contention, instead of using a soft answer, instead of having a, a tongue that commends knowledge, a gentle tongue that could be a tree of life, instead of speaking with knowledge, instead of having a heart that seeks understanding, which is all these uh, attributes that this proverb is talking about, we don't want that. we rather act a fool. And hence, putting all of our testimony on the line. Those, my brothers and sisters, are signs that we do not have a repentant heart. And that we want to follow our, our flesh. So what does it take in order for us to have that self-control? It requires self-control for us to be able to walk away. For us to be able to say, you know what? I am not going to fall for this trap. I'm not going to engage in something that is not going to produce anything godly. Right? The book of James says that our wrath, our unrighteous wrath does not produce the justice of God. No. Right? So what does it take in order for us to be able to have and show a regenerate heart in such conditions? when we are confronted with, with trial? Is it to just follow the natural impulse to let somebody have a piece of our mind and, and keep it real? Obviously, that's not the answer. Self-control that is mentioned as being part of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Self-control. Meaning, this type of self-control is only possible if God has given you the grace to have self-control, to have restraint of the tongue. A natural person cannot do that. Even in the case where somebody may be passive and not say anything, I mean, that's kind of a win, right? Because in the expression of them not uh, being calm, it, it shows some restraint. But if that person is not regenerate, Jesus says, if you thought it, you're already guilty. So even if that person doesn't speak, and exposes her heart before God, God already knows that person's heart. So even that person must too 
exercise self-control of having their thoughts going into, into sin. Hence, our true heart, our character is revealed. If we're honest, having self-control as a Christian is hard enough. Imagine not having the Spirit of God within us. Not having the ability to hold on to the strength, the grace that God gives His believers in order to exercise self-control. As I mentioned, being a Christian is hard enough. Two days ago, I had done a transaction at the bank. And unfortunately, it has seemed as though the deposit I had made, uh, for some reason, it, it got held up and there was a uh, there was a hold on it. I called the bank, and what do they do? Your call is important to us. Please, do you think I exercise self control? I mean, my my wife could tell you that. The words I expressed were, were not very Christian-like, right? So it is hard enough for us to exercise self-control as Christians in our speech, right? How much harder is for those who are not? And we may fall in this trap, which Proverbs 25, 28, right? We're in the book of Proverbs, so it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Right in this context of, of the Old Testament understanding, a city needs to be fortified, needs to be guarded. And when that guard, when those walls would be torn down, what is the result of that disaster, turmoil? They'll come and loot your uh, your city, right? Total disaster. That's the analogy that the proverb there is giving for someone who does not exercise self-control. Your person, your character has no boundaries and therefore whatever it is that's bothering you and causing you uh, discomfort or a temptation to blow up enters and loots your character. There's no barriers to protect your heart and that depravity is exposed. So then the true test comes when? When everything's fine? Now, we all can fake being good people when everything's fine. But the question is, what happens when we are under pressure? When things are not going well, is there self-control then? At that point, it doesn't matter how much Christian doctrine we know, right? But whether we are going to show good testimony when those trials arrive. So then why speech then, speaking the words that edify, that build up, to know when to restrain, to know what to say, to know how to encourage, how to extort, how to correct with gentleness. Ultimately, when we do that, it's not just for the, for the point of, of being a good citizen or being a good people. No, that's moralism. We should do that, but ultimately is in order to give a true witness of who Jesus is. Okay, let us not forget more of that later. Um, so the last point in that would be Proverbs eleven seventeen, which says, A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Right? This would be like in the context of us 
being able to show kindness, to, to show restraint, self-control, even when under pressure, it, it will benefit the person, right? Ultimately giving good testimony and the reason why we're able to, uh, to exercise that self-control. Okay, so that was wise speech, the first half of each of those verses. Now let us take a look at the second half of most of those verses, which is the example of corrupt, corrupt speech, which is a sign of a ungenerated or a sign of a corrupt heart. So now let's read that uh, passage again, but now focusing on the second half, which I've, uh, I think I've underlined it in the notes as well. So uh, Proverbs 15, it reads, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So there's a contrast, right? Of the first half of the verse, of most of these verses, which is wisdom, self-control, restraint, good testimony. And the second is the contrast, the opposite. When it says there, a harsh word, it means a hurtful word that breaks a person's spirit. That type of word, it is said here that it proceeds out of the mouth of fools with a foolish heart, a perverse tongue. And those are evil things that the heart is able to produce. Why? Because that sort of perverseness, that sort of foolishness, that is the default position of every human being. Okay? We do not need to teach our children to be perverse, to be disobedient, to be rebellious. Out of the box. They're like that and we were like that too. And we are still. That's the default position, disobedience, perverseness of heart. Let us take a quick look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 15, verses 11, and then 19 and 20. Jesus says the following, It is not what goes into, into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. See, there it is. The very words of Jesus. So what is it that is evil within us that produces us to be bad witnesses, produces us to be rebels? It's not that we get something from the outside. It's something that we already have in there. And from there comes all that garbage. So we can go to extremes, right, to protect our image, our body, our, our food, to be healthy. Yet, spiritually speaking, that does nothing if our hearts remain wicked. And I say remain because it's not our hearts become wicked. They already are wicked. 
as Jesus just showed us. So it's not what we put in, but what comes out that reveal our true character. What comes out of the mouth then reveals the true state of the heart of a person. I was reminded of an example that Dr. Paul Tripp talked about. When there was a man who began to drink alcohol excessively at a family gathering and soon began to speak obscenities and be very offensive specifically to the women that were present. That day came and went, and a few days later, that man, uh, that man um, did sort of an apology, but sort of like a halfway apology, saying that, excuse him, because it was because of the effects of the alcohol that he was behaving in such a manner. To which Dr. Tripp's comment was this, it was not the alcohol. The alcohol barely expressed and was able to get the man to expose what was really in his heart. Right? The alcohol didn't do it. The alcohol exposed it. And therefore, out of the mouth of men comes out obscenity, sexual immorality, evil thoughts. Because those things are already in our hearts. All the alcohol did was push that out. It was not the fault of the alcohol. So this illustrates two major things. One is that the truth of scripture, namely the default state of the heart of men, is evil. That's what we call total depravity. Our hearts are evil out of the box from the get-go. There's nothing within us that we can muster up in order to change that. We can't do that. And two, that men will consistently try to blame external circumstances. It's not me. It was the alcohol. Or, yeah, sure, I got a little bit out of hand, but, I mean, it was my wife. She was the one who took me off. Right? The natural state of ours is to expose our evil heart. And secondly, especially in today's culture, we are being conditioned to think that instead of us being sinners and rebels and enemies of God, that we are actually victims. It's somebody else's fault. Like, I'm, I'm fine. It's somebody else's fault. And it basically emboldens the sinner to further indulge in and express the wickedness of the heart rather than draw somebody to repentance. So who is guilty of this then? Guilty of what? Of expressing the wickedness of our hearts by what we speak. Or if we're honest, by what we think. Because sometimes, as I said, our comportment, our visual, could be okay. But in my heart, like, I already murdered you. Right? How many times is that not true? If my thoughts were projected up on the screen, that wouldn't be a good thing. And I would suggest the same of you, right? So who is guilty then of that? I am. You are. This is an issue that we all have. So therefore, what can be done? If there is a way to have wise speech, we will reveal that we have a repentant, regenerate heart. And there is a way to show that we have unwise speech, which means we have a corrupt, evil heart. 
how can we get to have that wisdom that requires us, uh, that is required for us to be able to have godly speech, godly behavior, godly obedience? What is it? Well, that takes us to the last point here on our study today, which is humble listening. That's the path to godliness, the path to obedience. And that is illustrated in the last verse there that we're studying today in Proverbs. It says, Proverbs 15, 31, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Now, when Scripture talks about reproof, what does it mean? That's not a very popular word in our, in our culture. Like, right, let everybody follow their own heart, their own dreams. And who are you to say anything in contrary, right? That is very common. Well, Scripture talks about reproof. It means correction, rebuke, reprimand. In the context of the person being directed to be rebuked, to be corrected, that the person must accept that correction, right? Because we know that the fool does not accept correction. The fool does not take rebuke, right? Proverbs also has a lot to talk about that. So whose heart then is naturally inclined to accept correction, to receive rebuke, to stop blaming others and accept blame? Who in the world naturally has that attitude? Nobody. Again, right? Example, raising children. For us parents here. I mean, I often tell you, the first expression that came out of little Zeke's mouth before he even spoke was, I told him to do something, and he was like, hmm. That was his first clear expression to me. Did I have to teach him that? No. And in like manner, that very attitude is within us too. It is not natural for us to accept correction, to take rebuke, to start, stop blaming others. That attitude is not natural to men. Yet, Scripture tells us that unless we admit we are wrong, unless we listen to reproof, unless we as sinners accept our need for a Savior, we will not be wise, but rather foolish. So again, what is the Scripture? So we saw that's what Scripture means about reproof, about Rebuke. Now, what does the Bible mean when it talks about somebody being wise in the sense that somebody is godly and that person is wise? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that somebody's perfect, but it mean it doesn't mean in the academic sense, like somebody had many degrees, somebody's very well educated. Remember the Apostle Paul, he was a scholar of scholars, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We just studied the book of Philippians, right? And what he said. All that he had accumulated, all that knowledge that he had, he said he counts it as garbage and exchanged that for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, right? So then we know that according to the Bible, wisdom, somebody who is wise in the eyes of God, it doesn't mean just knowledge, degrees when it comes to a particular subject. I tell you in my 
in my exploration of universities, whether being there getting degrees or being there speaking to students and teachers for that matter, it is not the, it is not the wisest place I've been. On the contrary, most of the foolish ideas from these days emerge from universities. So that is not what the Bible means by wis wisdom or somebody being wise. Rather, Scripture equates someone that is wise to those that humble themselves and accept God's instruction, accept God's correction, accept God's rebuke. So where do we turn then in order to gain that wisdom, in order to give attention to the life-giving reproof? Where do we turn to that? Well, let us look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. This should be one scripture that we should know by heart. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's our answer. Where do we, where do we turn for correction? Like the, the tradition of, of our ancestors, the, the wisdom of, of the culture? No. We turn for rebuke, for correction, for instruction to the Word of God. That is our ultimate authority. Nothing else has stood the test of time and nothing ever will in this relativistic culture. Only the Word of God will be able to give us the correction, the training and righteousness that we need. So those two verses summed it up. We turn to Scripture for that wisdom, the Word of God. What is the alternative? Right? What is the alternative at the root of the rebellious heart that says, you know what, nah, you guys are all wrong, I'm, I'm fine. What is, what is the alternative? Well, turning to our own understanding. Right? Proverbs says, do not trust in your own understanding. But in every way, acknowledge God, and He will direct your paths. Right? So the alternative is to turn to ourselves, to turn to see what my buddy tells me, to see what uh, the world tells me. And Scripture warns about that. Proverbs 14, 12 reads, again, this is a verse that we should all know. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Ah, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. What, the Bible? That's a bunch of garden. See? Yeah, there is a way that seems right to men, but the end will be what? Death. Similarly, Romans 6, 23, the first part of that verse says, For the wages of sin is death. Right? What is, what is sin? That's missing the mark. That is failing to do what God says. Scripture says we are all sinners. We're all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. And if we continue in that sense, in that way, our wage is going to be death. Not only physical death, but ultimately eternal death. Damnation. And in our world, and for the amount of time that humanity has been on this earth, I ask this question again, what is our natural inclination to choose wisdom or to choose the foolishness of our own understanding? From the times of Adam to this day, the natural inclination of man is to turn to our own understanding, which will 
ultimately lead to death. So then the question for us this morning is, do you listen to life-giving correction? I often say that a red flag is, hey, I'm actually fine. Like everybody else is the one that got problems. I'm good. Right? I think all of us have been at that attitude at one point or the other. Especially if somebody's telling you that you're doing something wrong. Specifically pointing something out. It is our duty as Christians, especially in a local congregation setting, to not shy away from coming along a brother or sister and pointing out that they are wrong in certain instances. That is the correct thing to do. That is the loving thing to do. So this is a danger then to the religious and the non-religious alike. The religious will say, well, I'm good. I, I already do all those things. I, I go to church. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, I, know, I know some things in the Bible. I'm, so I'm, I think I'm good. What is it? That's self-righteousness. You think that you're going to be fine, that you're doing okay because of something you're doing. So that's a danger. Especially for those that know lots of Christian lingo. That know the Bible, that know doctrine. You have to be careful. And can also be a stumbling block for the non-believer, for those that are not Christians. Thinking they don't need none of that mumbo-jumbo, like, I'm good. Right? Fall in the same trap. Their hearts are hardened. Why? Because of sin. Because of selfishness. What do the scripture has to say about why people ultimately don't care about the things of God? About why ultimately people don't come to Christ and put all these excuses and questions and so-called um, intellectual objections. There is a time and room for that, and there are answers for that. But ultimately, what did Jesus say? Let's read John 3, verses 19 and 20. What is the ultimate reason why somebody doesn't go to him? Jesus is talking about the judgment that has come to people for not believing in him. It says this. Jesus talking and says, quote, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Unquote. So at the end of the day, was the reason why people turn to their own understanding? Why people don't go to Christ for wisdom, for salvation, for forgiveness? Or kind of halfway do it? Why? Because people love their sin. That's why. That's the final answer. That's what Jesus is saying. There's no other excuse. So my friends, and let me make this absolutely clear. Jesus himself says that you will not come to him and follow him because you love your sin. That's why. Right? That's, that's a huge exhortation for all of us. And unless we repent, you will die in your sin. There's no sugarcoating of that truth. Right? Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. This is why then scripture calls us to repent. Right? Now that we understand the rebelliousness of heart, the natural attitude of, of every human being, then what are we called to do then? Well, scripture calls us to repent. The first words out of John the Baptist's mouth said what? 
Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean to repent? Metanoia, in the Greek, it means have a change of mind. Like the central, center command of your very being is changed. The way you look at the world changes. Your desire changes. Away from the foolishness of the world and turn to Christ. That's what repentance means. Asking Him for mercy, for grace, for His forgiveness. And to give us a new heart. So that no longer out of our heart will flow out just foolishness. Although again, many times, even as Christians, that does happen. But so that we may have access to the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. So that then we could have wisdom, true wisdom. So what have we learned then in this passage today of Proverbs 15? Well... Let us not forget this. The natural inclination of all of us is to be proud, to be egotistic, to say, nah, I'm good. I don't need that. If that's you today, the scripture says, bingo. That's every rebellious person. And therefore, we're called to recognize that, acknowledge it, and repent. Turn from where you're going, headed to hell, and turn to Christ. Secondly, what do we feed our mind? What do we feed our heart? What are we nourishing within us? In our already fallen nature, if we consistently feed it garbage, we will breed more garbage. What do I mean by that? Well, what do we mostly consume? Social media, endless scrolling on our phones, entertainment, leisure. If that's what we're feeding our soul, that's what we're nourishing. And that's what's going to come out when we speak. So we should be encouraged then to be able to take in more of the things of God. Right? I'm not against entertainment or this and that. I love entertainment. But I'm saying, what do we love most? Therefore, we should turn to the Word of God, to Scripture, to fellowship within the local church. So that what we nourish within us are the things of God. And then we have somewhere to grab from when we express ourselves that reveals the true state of our heart. And reveal wisdom. Reveal not foolishness, but self-control. Words that edify. We need to be able to nourish those things in order for those to come out because those are not natural to us. Okay, so lastly, what is not the point of today's message of something we learned from Proverbs 15? What is not the point is for somebody to go away saying, okay, I agree, so I got to be good now. I'm going to try harder. Wrong. You can't, first of all. We do not preach moralism. What is moralism? Well, I just got to be a better person. Wrong. A lot of people who become better people, worldly speaking, in, in a worldly sense, meaning they are able to turn their life around, they become productive citizens of, of, their, of their community, 
but yet do it apart from Christ without being forgiven, they're still on their way to hell. We don't preach moralism. That's not what we're advocating here in Proverbs 15. Rather, what we are saying is repent. Turn your heart towards Jesus that he may exchange the heart of stone for a heart of flesh. A heart that knows him. We need to repent to be forgiven of our sins. We need to be born again, trusting Christ, so that then, when we are children of God, we can then obey. We can then work on our everyday path to becoming more and more like Christ. That's where we are called to obedience. Before that, we are called to trust in Jesus, to be saved, to be born again, to trust in His perfect life, in His perfect death in our place, for His in his resurrection, defeating sin and death, so that then we can be born again, and then live in obedience. It doesn't come the other way around. Let me try to be good and live in obedience. Maybe God will... Nope. It's the other way. First you become a Christian. Otherwise, good behavior alone will never gain you any favor with God. My friends, let me make that clear. Any amount of good behavior will grant you no favor with God. For the scripture says, it is not of good works, lest anyone should boast. But rather, favor with God comes by faith in Christ. Through grace by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So where does that leave us in? Well, I leave you with this. Let us look to Jesus. Jesus is the one who had perfect speech. Jesus is the one who had a perfect character and has, because he's alive today. Jesus is the only one who was able to live a sinless life on this earth because he is God in flesh. He is divine. He is God himself. His righteousness is what we need. His obedience is what we need. And we can only attain that by putting our trust in him. So I'll leave you with this verse, 1 Peter 2.22. Talking about Jesus, what does it say? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Amen? Amen? That's perfection. That's the perfection that you and I can never have. And that's what God the Father requires of us. Therefore, the only way we can cut it, the only way we can pay that bill when our day comes... This is by saying, I don't have it, but Jesus does, and he gave it to me. That's the only way. The only, the only way, the only life, the only truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask you to make these things uh, really make a difference in our minds, in our hearts, as we seek wisdom, as we seek to align our hearts and our minds with Jesus. For he is the one who begins a good work in us, and he is the one who's able to complete it. Not by us being good, but by us saying, I'm not good, I need Jesus. May it be a reminder that we need to constantly depend on Christ and his goodness, trusting in him, so that we then be able to be wise in our daily lives and be more like Jesus. May we trust in him today. In Jesus' name, amen.